This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The Federal Reserve has long been viewed as one of the few nonpartisan and independent parts of Washington, D.C. It was integral to the U.S. economic recovery from the Great Recession and has been requiring banks to submit living wills, plans for their closure during the economic crisis. But President Trump has been pushing the Fed in ways some fear might change it into a political tool. He railed against its decision to raise interest rates, pushed it to ease pressure on the banks, and reportedly privately looked into whether he can fire Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Now he is looking at putting political allies on the Federal Reserve Board, including former presidential candidate and pizza chain CEO Herman Cain, as well as conservative economic commentator Stephen Moore, arguably unconventional choices for the positions. With more on the future of the U.S. Central Bank, we're joined here in studio by Peter Conti-Brown, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School, as well as on the phone, Lisa Cook, Associate Professor of Economics and International Relations at Michigan State. State University. Peter, great to see you as always. Always Thank a pleasure. You. Lisa, great to have you back with us. Terrific to be here. Thank you. Peter, ballpark this. Chances that we're going to see Herman Cain and or Stephen Moore on the Fed Board of Governors. I left the world of political handicapping on November 8th, 2016, so I have okay. absolutely no idea where this goes. But I will tell you this. There's a constitutional duty that the president has that should be respected, and that is The president, as the only national politician who faces a national electorate, has to have and does have a very important role in shaping policy, and that includes at the the central bank. But the Senate has another independent role, and that is to vet and approve those candidates. And so far, President Trump has made stellar appointments to the Federal Reserve. They're not the same people that Hillary Clinton would have made if she'd been elected president in 2016. And that's not only appropriate, that's, that's, uh, that's how the system works. Sure, yeah. But these are different. These are very different. These are different because President Trump is now abandoning what has been a bipartisan consensus stretching back at least 40 years and, and even further that says, although Democrats and Republicans are going to appoint different kinds of central bankers, they come with a baseline of competence and experience where they're not going to prize partisan loyalty over the work of central banking. Right. Stephen Moore and Herman Cain do not fit that historical consensus. President Trump's other five nomina- or six nominations, four of which have been approved, uh, did. And so this is a big departure even for President Trump. And I think the Senate Republicans and the, and, and the Senate Democrats need to rally uh, together and vet these candidates and I think reject them. Lisa? No, I agree. I I think this longstanding uh, tradition that has preserved the independence of the Fed would be at risk if these latest two were uh, were appointed, uh, officially uh, uh, nominated, and then uh, appointed. And I agree with Peter that the other uh, appointments, uh, not all of them have uh, gone forward. Uh, but uh, those were those, those were normal. They, they uh, were in line with historical tradition, and I think that this could be a very big risk and could threaten the dual mandate um, of uh, maximizing employment and uh, and growth, 
uh, and I think that this could be undermined too. So yes, I think there's a big threat on the horizon if these political loyalists are put on the Federal Reserve. How different, Peter, is is what we are seeing now? And, and you are a historian that has followed the, the 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 background of the Fed for such a long period of time. But how is what we are seeing now? different from how the Fed has run in general? And I ask that because have there been times in the past where there has been the want of a political element with the Federal Reserve? Sure. And I think people misunderstand the nature of the institution if they think it's sealed off from political pressures. It's never been that way. Right. It's important to recognize the distinction. The Fed's a political institution, but it's not a partisan institution. And a political institution means that it is indeed influenced by a political process. Um, but the difference is even when you've had campaign invi- advisors or uh, administration insiders uh, appointed to the Fed, let me just take two examples, right? So George W. Bush appointed his chairman uh, of the Council of Economic Advisors, Ben Bernanke, to yep. be Fed chair, yep. right? This is an administration insider. He's there to provide President Bush with economic uh, advice, but he's a political actor inside the administration. He went from being a political economic advisor to the president to Fed chair. Yeah. The difference was that Ben Bernanke was widely viewed as being an expert on these questions. The Democrats had done the same thing. Alan Blinder was a good example. In fact, they were Princeton colleagues. Uh, but he was an advisor, a close advisor to President Bill Clinton. He was thinking about all the political strategies around fiscal policy, other economic policy. And then he gets appointed to be vice chairman of the Fed. Now, that's a pol- he's a political figure. But Alan Blinder had a baseline of competence and experience and expertise yeah. that disciplined both Blinder and Bernanke to say, you know what? We're not going to put this midterm or presidential election as the forefront of our monetary policy. A partisan is only asking the question, is this good for us or bad for us in the next election? Right. And a central banker has to ask the opposite question, which is, forget elections. Is this good or bad for America. And those things conflict. And Stephen Moore and, and Herman Cain lack what Bernanke and Blinder and so many others had, which is this baseline competence to be able to say, all right, the partisan noise is noise. Let's focus on the, the uh, short, medium, and long-term economic effects of these of these policies for America as a whole. So then, Lisa, the potential effects, using that word from, from Peter, the potential effects of, uh, of these two gentlemen on the Fed Board of Governors, and, and mind you, the governors are, is comprised of a dozen voices. Uh, this would be two, right. uh, two of 12, but still, right. these two gentlemen potentially being on the Fed Board of Governors would mean what in your mind, potentially? They could poison the conversation and let me uh, let me explain why I use uh, possibly such a strong term Stephen Moore has called for the elimination of the Department of Commerce and the Bureau of Labor Statistics and for a sophisticated economy like ours a multi-trillion dollar economy like ours, a very uh, advanced economy like ours, we need all the information we can get. And we have these independent statistical agencies that we rely on and that the Federal Reserve relies on, that um, business owners rely on to engage in business investment, engage in their regular economic activity. And for there to be these conspiracies that both of them have put forward 
uh, about uh, these statistical agencies not believing uh, the data, questioning the data. This is fundamentally what what they do, and they have this this give and take, and there's this quest to improve the data. And uh, this has been admitted by uh, the Federal Reserve Board. So that's not that when I say admitted that these are the best data we have, but they're always looking for ways to improve. But no one has ever said get rid of the agency that right. creates these data. So I think it would be really worrisome to have anyone like that who was a part of decision-making. Peter? I, I just completely agree with, with Lisa. This is the problem when Lisa and I get together, we agree with each other too much. Uh, but uh, <laughs> No problem. But, I mean, so so look, the, the Fed's Board of Governors, you're, you made a point earlier, Dan, seven people, that's right. And then the Reserve Banks, there are 12 of them. Yeah. Together, the 19 voices, 12 of whom have votes on the Federal Open Market Committee, it's a committee structure. Yeah. But here's what's so insidious about these, right? Not only are you going to add new voices in the room that are going to be banging a partisan drum that uh, saying we're not going to do things empirically, we're going to do it out of loyalty. That's very bad for the Fed. We've seen that before, so this isn't new. But if the Senate Republicans especially concede the rigor that these nominees should have and say that doesn't matter anymore, we're only going to do a political loyalty litmus test. In 2021, Jay Powell's term will come due and he'll either be, he'll either be re-nominated or someone else will be and the person making that nomination will either be Donald Trump or his successor. Right. And if we compromise on these standards for the governors, then forget the debate that we saw when it was, is it going to be Yellen or Powell? And forget the debate that we saw four years before when it was, is it going to be Janet Yellen or Larry Summers? All of those are deeply qualified candidates. Instead, it will be President Trump making the argument, I want a loyalist at the top. Or a Democratic president saying, well, look, it's a new world. I want a loyalist at the top. Sure. This idea of rigor in the personnel that are appointed at the Fed, that is the heart of Fed independence. It's very fragile. It's very important. And the Republicans, this is the line of the sand they need to draw. Lisa, it is interesting because all of this is kind of occurring as in the last few months, President Trump has from time to time made sure that he has spoken out about Fed policy. The the latest was just a couple of days ago uh, as he was getting to leave the White House. I want you to listen to a clip because I think it's important to play this for the discussion. Well, I personally think uh, the Fed should drop rates. I think they really slowed us down. There's no inflation. I would say in terms of quantitative tightening, it should actually now be quantitative easing. All right. So, Lisa, obviously, I think there has been a question out there in in the last few months of the influence uh, that President Trump has when he makes these types of statements. And I think some people have wondered whether or not the decision most recently to to halt interest rate increases was in somehow uh, by Jerome Powell and, and the Fed was in some fashion impacted by some of the statements that President Trump has made. But if you. If we listen to the the conferences, the questions that are answered by uh, Jay Powell and uh, others on the FOMC or Federal Reserve Bank um, president, the language is included in their explanation of what they did and how they see the future and and forward guidance and the the roadmap that they have for for go, going forward. And there's always been this 
this uh, question that the Fed is grappling with, as any central bank, a modern central bank and an industrialized country would be grappling with, how has the economy changed since the Great Recession? How have the data changed since then? They're asking serious intellectual scholarly questions, and they're leaving open the door to this um, you know, learning from how the data might have uh, might have changed or mixed signals that they might be getting. So uh, they've left the door open for this, that they acted on it, I think, um, and that uh, they're being patient with it, as, as Jerome Powell said during his 60 Minutes interview, I think is uh, completely consistent. So I don't think that they're bowing to the to the pressure of uh, okay. the president saying this. I think uh, Jay Powell has been uh, somewhat defiant, and I think that's a good thing. Peter? So this is this is what is at stake here with these nominees uh, in, in exactly this debate, right? So President Trump should never have been making these kinds of uh, noises and criticisms because now whether or not the Fed is doing the work that Lisa describes, and I agree that, that it is, the narrative is now about the Fed reacting to the right. president, and that itself undermines yeah. the Fed's credibility. When you heap political loyalists uh, on top of that pile, then the narrative starts to really get shaped in that way because for at least two members of the 12-person, 12 12-voting 12 Federal Open Market Committee, that is the lens through which they see the world. Right. And I'm, just to put a, a, a bit of a, an exclamation point on what Lisa was saying – the ideology of the central banker is one of, of empiricism and uncertainty. A good central banker is aware of the fact that they're trying to make two big guesses. These are informed guesses, but it's guesswork still the same. One is, where is the economy today? And there's no crystal ball that lets us say, I know exactly where things are. The, you know, the, the story is we always call the recession uh, months and even a year after the recession has begun because we just don't have a system of instantaneous knowledge. And then the Fed is also trying to make a prediction about where the economy is headed. Now, if you knew that with certainty, you'd be a trillionaire, right? Yeah. Um, and the Fed doesn't have that certainty. But it uses the best and most sophisticated data it can to make both judgments. A partisan does not truck in uncertainty. Sure. Yeah. The world is always clear. We're always right. Our opponents are always wrong. And they don't they don't deal with nuance. But but as you look at at these two gentlemen, and I mentioned this to you before we went on the air, is the fact that there is at least with Herman Cain the background that he was at the Kansas City Fed before this. And as you brought up, you know, it, let's let's hope that he continues to you know take that knowledge and take that learning moving forward. Well, I would I would say. I want to be very clear about something. So some some um, defenders of the administration said, OK, here come the liberals with their Trump derangement syndrome again. It's just anything that President Trump does, they're going to hate. And that seems like a script, right, that uh, President Trump does something, the pundits complain about it, right. and then uh, the defenders complain about the pundits. This is different. Remember, the six nominations that President Trump has made, four of which have been successful, have been very, very good, some spectacular. This is not people reflexively rejecting uh, the president's agenda. Uh, I also want to note that you don't have to have a PhD in economics to be a really exceptional central banker. Sure, yeah. Uh, of those, That's true. Uh, you know, the four who succeeded in uh, Mr. Trump's uh, uh, not of Mr. Trump's nominees, only one has had a PhD in economics. The other three are are, are also great central bankers. Um, I also like that uh, Herman Cain. Uh, doesn't look like every other central banker. I like that he was a CEO. I like that he's had experience at the Kansas City Fed. 
What gives me so much pause, Stephen Moore has none of those factors. I think he's unequivocally not a good nominee. But but the, what still gives me pause about Herman Cain is, again, no demonstration, despite his business experience, despite his Fed experience, of understanding that central bank ideology and how it differs from a partisan's ideology. And because of that, that's what's disqualifying. And I would say that if the if the loyalty was to a Democrat or to a Republican, that simply can't be inside the Fed where you're simply where you're asking, well, what's good for our electoral prospects? Because the lever of monetary policy and the lever of financial regulation, these are very, very powerful tools. Congress designed the Fed so that partisans can't use yeah. them for electoral ends. And that's the thing we have to preserve. Lisa? And you know, Dan, I was at the um, I was at the CEA at the Council of Economic Advisors when uh, Stephen Moore, uh, Donald Trump, and uh, Herman King were questioning the Bureau of Labor Statistics and our unemployment data. And I was incensed. I couldn't get on Twitter because we <laughs> couldn't be on Twitter. Okay, um, <laughs> but these are professional, nonpartisan. Very hardworking economists who have no uh, – they, they are free from political um, persuasion, and they are followed very carefully. You can imagine if they're not uh, protected, if they're uh, – if, you know, if any of these data get out, they, they could move markets. Right. That would be unfair, and that there is a fundamental disbelief in this independent agency producing independent data, I think it it mars how the data will be interpreted. That's that's one thing. But I think also there's, um, you know, I think a slight difference between Stephen Moore and Herman Cain is that uh, Stephen Moore has the data and he cherry picks, which is uh, misleading. Um, but Herman Cain doesn't seem to understand some basic um, some basic data. Uh, economic data. And when he was at the Kansas City Fed, you know, when you choose a board of directors, you're choosing uh, typically local business leaders, right? right? You're, and, and, and that's the kind of input you're seeking. You're not choosing uh, experts on the economy. So it's that, I mean, this association with the Kansas City Fed is, is, is interesting, but it's not one that uh, would rate as experience in the central bank uh, decision-making process and as a major part of the uh, decision-making process or as a career, as a, as a job. You don't need a Ph.D. in, in economics. That's absolutely true. Um, I would have more PhD economists, but that's just me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not objective, uh, but I think that it would take just anyone who had uh, trust in the data, trust mm-hmm. in the uh, way we have had trust in, in in the past, and good judgment. I, I think that judgment is just critical here, in terms of interpreting the data you actually have. And in terms of uh, asking these uh, these data sources, these extremely important data sources, not just for the U.S. central bank, for the world, for other central banks in the world, to um, be abolished, I think it's uh, I think it's just um, extraordinary. Well, that's the other side to it, Peter. That we haven't touched on is the impact that not only this would have potentially on the Fed and potentially on economic policy here in the United States, but as the United States is one of the leading countries in the world, there is no doubt going would be some sort of effect 
straight out or implicit, however you you look at it, on other economies around the world, I would think. Oh, no, there's no question about that. I mean, the um, and this is something that goes back uh, a century. The Fed's influence in the world is is profound. Now, um, navigating that, I think, is 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 exactly why, although political background is relevant to the way that politicians will shape the future of the central bank, that's why we have this idea that there's a baseline of competence. Yeah. Why we have this idea that there's uh, that you have to have uh, uh, some sort sort of appreciation for uncertainty and and the data that's used. So I I absolutely agree with Lisa on that front. I don't think that um, I I don't love that so many uh, principles on the Federal Open Market Committee are being pulled from within the Federal Reserve System. That's a that's a, a long a trend that goes back a lot of years. Well, can you explain the, why you have that hesitancy? I think that it's that having a um, uh, experiential and ideological diversity at the Fed is crucial. Okay. I think the problems of groupthink uh, are very very real. The Fed's a very sophisticated institution, but in some ways it's very insular and it's very defensive. Right. And so having outsiders who engage with the Fed to try and uh, move it in this direction or that. Sometimes that succeeds very well, and sometimes the Fed just sort of goes in lockdown. And so, I, as a Fed outsider um, who engages in uh, in debates about the Fed's structure and governance and policies, I like the idea. And here, I'm I'm probably lacking objectivity too. I like the idea of people who have who are Fed outsiders. Yeah. And I think being the CEO of a company is a desirable. Uh, perspective to add to that diverse discussion. I wouldn't want to have no PhD economists, um, but having a businessman from the South and who's done business in the Midwest and been the CEO of a, of a pizza chain uh, and has even had marginal contact with the Fed through the Kansas City Fed, I think that is a CV I'd look at and I'd say, yeah, I'm interested. Let's keep having the conversation. Where Herman Cain fails and fails spectacularly is exactly on the rocks that Lisa's identified which is if you have politicized the raw material that the Fed uses to make its, uh, its vital and globally consequential decisions, then I think you've disqualified yourself because then the way that you're going to make sense of an uncertain future is only through a partisan lens. And if that's what you want to do, go run for Congress, right? Or, or win a presidential <laughs> or, election. Or I was going to say run for president again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and don't, right. don't resign in a cloud of a sexual harassment scandal. Yeah. Um, right, right. Because that's the place where a partisan lens is going to be most effective. And, Subject that to an right. election. And, that's not a central banker. Lisa, go ahead. And, and if I could just add one quick thing. Um, I agree with, uh, with Peter. There, there definitely should uh, be – I value the perspective of those who have been – intricately involved in the economy. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, John Williams, the president of the New York Fed. He had been a manager of a pizza joint in Berkeley, California. He, he was uh, at Berkeley in graduate school in economics before I was. And I think that was valuable experience. I think it is valuable experience. I like for people to have had uh, a number of jobs and interacted with the economy, understand uh, supply chains, understand uh, what people really go through who are working. He was a manager who had to uh, hire and and fire people. So I I appreciate that kind of experience. And certainly the, uh, the Federal Reserve structure does too because the boards of directors of the uh, Federal Reserve banks 
are populated with uh, with people like uh, like Herman Cain. But again, I think that in terms of fundamental decision making and using the kind of data that would say stem uh, the flow of a financial crisis uh, that would be bad not just for the U.S. but for the rest of the world. I am not sure that I could uh, trust either the analysis of the input or the uh, judgment of the person uh, making that decision with these two potential nominations. And and, and it is, you both have kind of alluded to it. it could end up being a moot point depending on what happens in, in Congress yeah. with both of these gentlemen. Yeah, and as you right. mentioned, Herman Cain obviously has uh, sexual harassment allegations from several years ago when he was ru- going to be running for president. Uh, and Stephen Moore, as you mentioned, uh, obviously the political slant and, and his background. So we could be looking at, at other candidates at some point down the road to be to be the replacements here. Look, I'm going to give some advice to Senate Republicans. This is completely not partisan, but it is in their partisan interests. Now's the time to stand up. You reject these. You find other Republicans who are qualified, who have right. an appreciation for data. There are a lot of them. President Trump has uh, interacted with many of them in staffing the Fed so far. Go back to that well and try again. And if you do, you're going to get better quality appointments, which are good for the Republicans or good for the country. Right. And it keeps in place the bipartisan consensus that although we're going to draw from different wells, depending on who's in the Oval Office, we do so from a baseline of judgment and competence that central bankers have to have. These fail that test. Lisa? And that's what the American people deserve. Great having you with us today, Lisa. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Great seeing you. Great seeing you. Thank you. Peter Connie Brown from here at the Wharton School, Lisa Cook at Michigan State University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.